0: So why don't so everybody knows what today is, right? Yeah. yeah. Palm Sunday. Mm-hmm. So what what is significant about Palm Sunday? Pardon? trying to pull in. That's right. It's when when uh, Jesus mm-hmm. came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and he was um, hailed as king. Right, Messiah, and yet he was shortly after rejected, um, which is what Psalm 22 is about. Right, so we understand Psalm 22 being about that week um, as a prophetic psalm, and it's part of a, uh, a group of Psalms 22, 23, and 24 go together. Why don't we read that rather than Psalm 138, which is what I had selected? So Psalm 22, and be thinking about that which which uh, Christ was approaching with full knowledge as He entered into Jerusalem. Whoever
1: would like to read out Psalm 22, please do so. Sure, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy and on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. By I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me, and they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb, and you made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. But not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help Many bowls encompass me, strong bowls of fashion surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a post, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evil doers encircled me, yet pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell you tell of your name to my brothers, in the midst of the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord and praise him, all the offspring of Jacob glorify him, and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or adored the afflicted of the afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden the face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you come my praise in the great congregation. My vows are performed before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember to turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs up to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him He. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Amen.
0: So when you read that, this was a psalm of David. So this was written... Nearly a thousand years before Christ walked. (laughs) Um, More than a thousand years. And um, Jesus would have read this repeatedly as part of his um, normal upbringing. (coughs) Certainly, he understood it uh, to be about Messiah. (coughs) And understood what he was approaching as he went into Jerusalem. And we know how he actually um, labored over that as he was approaching the cross the night before his rest, or the night of his arrest. And, uh, and yet David wrote this prophetically. He may have written it about a situation in his life, but certainly it's it perfectly fulfilled in Messiah. So that's why a lot of times we look at David as a type of Messiah, uh, in that he was a man after God's heart, that he would turn to God for his um, salvation, just as Messiah trusted in the Father for our salvation. Right? And we understand that the end of that you read about in uh, verse uh, 27, 27 through the end. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship, and all those who go down to the dust will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. That would be us. Posterity will serve him, those that are yet to come. It will be told of the Lord uh, to the coming generation. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare His righteousness to a people who will be born that He has performed it. So that would be us. So That's the end result of what Christ did as it comes to us um, in what we call the Gospel. So we're in Ephesians and we're actually going to Read the first nine verses of chapter six today. And what I would say is that uh, we're in a we're in a section. Who can tell me where we're at in Ephesians, other than the verses? I mean, kind of how it fits together, right? Why are we? What's the organization of this section of Ephesians that we're in? Pardon? So, at, so what I would say in in uh, in chapter six, we're going to see, you know, if we look at kind of the organization of um, sit, walk, stand, we're going to see starting in verse ten in chapter six where we take our stand. So we would still be in the walk part. Um, the first three chapters, as I've uh, described it. Really, kind of covers the uh, who Christ is, what He's done for us, who we are in Him, right? Our identity in Christ, and we understand—I mean, from a, uh, a theological understanding as well as a personal understanding—who we are in Christ, and we understand uh, that He's our Savior. Then we turn to what I call the ethic of. Uh, Ephesians, or the ethic of the gospel, which is how, how we walk, how we, once we understand who we are, how now shall we live? Is the, is the question, right? How do we behave in a way that um, expresses the condition of our heart in faith? So, what I would say is that um, ethic or ethics is the outworking of that inward condition of the heart. And we know that, you know, I've, I've described um, codes of ethics that, that people will adhere to. For example, doctors have a code of ethics, engineers have a code of ethics. Um, different, you know, when I uh, so had to be sworn in in, in the Army and um, you're adhering to a code of ethics as part of that, And yet that doesn't, just because you have that on the outside, doesn't make it true on the inside. And what Paul's concerned about is what's going on on the inside and how that affects the outside, right? So it's kind of upside down from from the way the world works. Um, The world's very concerned about the outside. God's very concerned about the inside. And so we understand as we kind of turn into the walk, we we get there at... uh, beginning of chapter 4 it says therefore I the prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called so we are called we understand that Um, God is working in our lives and that the result of responding to that call is that we should um, walk with humility and gentleness patience showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit the bond of peace and then he goes on to explain what that means. Is, uh, he kind of gives us a framework, a theological framework, for how we should walk in the first 16 verses of uh, chapter 4. And then he turns it to uh, a more prescriptive rather than descriptive approach. Right? What does that look like? We should be different. We should be righteous. And you see that... And, uh, walk differently in verse chapter 4 verses 17 through 24 and walk righteously in verse chapter 4 verses 25 through 32 and finally we get to chapter 5 and he gives us this really hard hard statement it says therefore be imitators of God as beloved children so if we are children of God and we understand that to be our identity um, we are to be like our Father. We are to be like his son. And that's a really hard thing to do. And then he goes on, he says, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And so he's reflecting back on that understanding of the Jewish cultic practice where they would offer a sacrifice, and that sacrifice, the the atoning sacrifice, if you read Leviticus, the very first one that's talked about, is the burnt offering, and it's fully consumed. And uh, it's kind of like yesterday was a a nice sunny day, right? So you go out in the evening, and everybody's got their barbecues fired up, because the sunshine is the first uh, weekend that kind of hints at what's ahead, and so a lot of people had their barbecues going, and they throw their feet on the barbecue, and you just smell that aroma, right? <laughs> it's pleasing; it, it can kind of lighten your heart. Well, the sacrifice that Christ did for our atonement was pleasing to God; it was a pleasing aroma, and so um, and and very powerful. And so we see that we're to be imitators. <clears throat> Just as Christ laid himself down for us, that's how we are supposed to do, how, how we're supposed to act in the world. And then he, gives, he gets very explicit in that. He says, uh, immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you. Right. And he starts um, telling us, giving a comparison contrast between the way of the world and the way of, of God's kingdom. And if we we're children in God's kingdom, we should be behaving according to the way of God's kingdom, not according to the way of the world. <coughs> and so we've been wrestling through chapter 5 in Ephesians, trying to understand how we're not to be in the world, but to we're, we're to um, be as children of light, right? that we're trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, as I read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. And that we don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And that's what makes us different. That's what makes us an offense, right? So what a lot of people are going to experience this week as they're inviting their family and their friends to participate in Resurrection Sunday as a memorial, right? So we remember, so that's what a memorial is. We're, we're remembering both the death of Christ and his resurrection. And we celebrate the resurrection and we mourn the death. And that's part of what that memorial is about. And, and in doing that, inviting people to join us, we're going to be in offense. And, and in fact, we're going to be bringing light in the darkness, and a lot of people don't want that light uncovering who they are. right? So that makes us offensive. But nonetheless, that's what we're supposed to, supposed to be doing. And as we move through, um, we talked a lot about that, how you actually um, have the same kind of integrity that Christ has. So last week, we took a lot of time We took a look at Philippians chapter 2 and I'll just quickly read it because this is the same, um, this is the framework for how we are to actually behave ethically. Not just prescriptive, but very detailed as to what that looks like. We read in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Have this attitude of mind in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. So the first thing I'll say is that that means that there's an intent. This is something that we're um, supposed to intentionally dwell upon and act upon in our lives. This uh, attitude that was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, That was, as we read through Psalm 22, that was that culmination of Psalm 22. You actually read in Psalm 22 what Jesus did. That even though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, that was his divine nature. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of the man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. And that's, that's what Psalm 22 is talking about. Right? And that the end of that is then that exaltation that happened with his resurrection. So it started with the announcement at the tomb. Why are you looking for him? Don't you know? He's raised. Right? Why are you looking for him here in the tomb among the dead? He's he's not dead. He's been raised for your justification, right? That we might have the very life that he has. He's demonstrating that eternal life. Well, that's the framework that Paul's going through in Ephesians chapter 5 as we march through. That we would have that same spirit within us. And the way that he he starts making that statement, um, as we read last week, he says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So we want to understand his will. We want to understand that which pleases him. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't have, embrace this way of the world, which is emptiness, but embrace the way of God, which is being filled in the Spirit. In fact, Jesus said, "The thief comes to, to kill, steal, and to destroy. Still, kill and steal, kill and destroy." Right. So, if you look at that, you take everything from that is of value to you, including your physical life, and ultimately, His goal is to destroy you eternally. That's what the thief wants to do. But Jesus said, "I come that you might have life." to the full, right? Abundant life. That's what it's talking about here. That's that's what it means to not um, embrace the world in dissipation, but embrace the spirit in life. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So that's the... The personal state of rejoicing and thankfulness, and the corporate state as we live that out, both within the church but also in the world. So, what does that look like? So, he gives an example then of wives and husbands, and we talked about that last week. And I I pointed out that that section is not uh, a prescription about marriage, rather, it's a prescription about what it looks like to walk in the spirit, right? That this is what the church walking in the spirit looks like. It happens to look like a good marriage. And so we read that, it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And we understand now um, that the, he's speaking about the church, and he's going he's to make that really clear. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. <coughs> So that's what Christ as the head of the church is doing for what we call the bride. right? Um, and that's not about gender. It's about um, a role in uh, intimate relationship. Right? And we understand that the, the easiest way to put that in human terms is to talk about a man and a wife. And that from the very beginning God um, brought that relationship of two together as one. And and we see additional language added to that. What God has put together let no one, let no man tear asunder. That there is a a joining um, in communion in spirit that is so powerful that it can't be ripped apart except by God himself. And we know that That would be, uh, as we read in Hebrews, it says the Spirit of God is like a two-edged sword, sharper sharper than a two-edged sword. Let me read that for you, just so that you'll know the context I'm talking about here. If you go to Hebrews chapter 4, it says in verse 12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So it's the only one that can actually um, see the separation between soul and spirit, two immaterial parts of us, is God himself. We don't have the ability to discern where that line is, just like we don't have the ability to discern how the marrow traverses a joint you have two separate bones brought together and yet the marrow somehow is communicated across that joint this is amazing that this was written 2,000 years ago we think we're pretty smart right these guys understood something about the nature of the human body that was a mystery right how how does that actually work that that is communicated across when there's no channel for that communication They're physically separate bones, separated by cartilage, and and yet it says the word of God is that sharp. It can can separate the joint and the marrow. It can discern the the thought and intent of the heart. It's the only thing that can see how those two become one, and yet it truly is one. Right? That's what what it means when um, Paul is using this language about A man and a woman in marriage. He's talking about the church in relationship to Christ, the head. And we would hope that uh, a good marriage reflects this, right? Just like a good relationship with our children, our employers, will reflect this. That there will be an attitude within us that is the attitude like Christ, that we would empty ourselves and become humble as a bond servant, one who in the freedom that they have chooses to submit for the good of another. It's like the, uh, the Australian saying, good on you, mate, right? Blessings on you. That's what that attitude is about. Good on you. It's a, a, a valuing of the other person as actually greater than yourself. Not that you are diminishing yourself. This isn't about a bad self-image. But rather, it's about a proper image of how we view all people, all of God's creation, and how we view our relationship to God. He says, uh, and I'll I'll jump ahead back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another." It's more important than yourselves. Right? That's a valuing thing. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. In other words, don't just like good on me, but good on you. That's that's what that's about. And that's why when it talks about the wife submitting to her husband and the husband loving his wife, it's that reciprocal relationship of um, in the freedom that you have Submitting all that you are for the good of the other person. It's the highest value you can place on somebody. It's what we would call love in a biblical sense. Not love in a Hollywood sense. Love in a Hollywood sense is something totally different. You see that all over the place and, and it ends up in tragedy and destruction. Right? But what you see is the love of Christ is that it brings life. The love of Christ is such that He valued us So much. Not that we have uh, value because of our merit. Not what we bring to God. But who he is. He chose us. From before the foundation of the world. That's where Paul started. The very first part of his treatise here. He chose us from before the foundation of the world. That we would be in Christ. In that relationship. And that we would be there for the purpose of expressing his goodness. That we were created... It says in chapter 2, verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them, right? That we would actually behave that way, that we would be the image of Christ, the imitation of Christ. Thomas A. Kempis, it's a good read, the imitation of Christ. That's what that's about, and that's what this section on husbands and wives is about. It's about imitation of of Christ and and that humility and that pouring yourself out. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. I'm reading in verse 28, chapter 5. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Then he, he states that original truth for this reason, a man shall leave his mother, his father, and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He wants to make it really clear that what our ethic is based upon is that communion with Christ. And that that so transforms us on the inside that it spills out on the outside, just as Jesus did. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. That's how I can frame this and say, you know, this may be good, a good picture of a good marriage, but it's not prescriptive about marriage. It's prescriptive about how we are to be in relationship to Christ as the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So he's using this language and he knows that people are going to get all wrapped around the axle about what it means to be submissive to one another, right? And there's a lot of teaching around that. People will use this text, sometimes as a club, sometimes as a uh, release. And that's not what it's about, right? It's about Christ and the church and that attitude that he has that we are to have for one another. Nonetheless, within marriage, we should behave that way, Right? So in a very fundamental relationship that we that the world sees, we should reflect that. And then he goes on. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is chapter 6, verse 1. For this is right. So obedience is the way that you express your faith. Right, so we've been looking at what faith means and, and what that faith relationship is because we are saved by grace, I read in chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? It's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And when we unpack that, if you recall, we talked a lot about faith and what is the evidence of faith? The evidence of faith is obedience. If you truly believe something, you're going to embrace it in every aspect of your life. What the world sees and the name that we give to that is Obedience. So when we talk about um, the law, for example, uh, the law in a Jewish sense as a uh, as prescription, it's not prescriptive; it's descriptive. But those who embrace the underlying spirit of that end up displaying that in their life as obedience. <coughs> we're uh, <clears throat> on Friday night. We're working through. Um, Uh, Galatians, and Paul's making the point in Galatians that the Bible, rather than being Mosaic-centric, the Mosaic law, is Abraham-centric, right? It's about uh, Abraham and his faith, and what we read about Abraham, if you read the, the promise from God to Abraham, and you go through the Abraham story, you get to chapter 15, verse 6 it says then he Abraham believed in the Lord God made him a promise made a statement about who he was and what he was going to do on Abraham's behalf and not just Abraham but the whole world and he told him how he was going to do it so there's a prophetic aspect to it and Abraham believed him what is the evidence of that faith God reckoned it to him as righteousness so when Abraham believed and he behaved accordingly. He actually left the land that he was living in to go to the land that he was called to. He actually walked according to the things that God asked him to do. Not perfectly. You read Abraham's story, it's like, man, he had problems. And he had kids with problems. So we can take take some uh, encouragement from Abraham. It's like, here's the, the one who is held up as the epitome of our Of of righteousness through faith. And yet he was not perfect. But nonetheless. He believed God. And that belief translated into the way that he lived. Again not perfectly. That's obedience. That's when it says children obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. That's what that means. It is right. Obedience is the correct response To the gospel message. So when someone hears the gospel, they basically have a choice to believe it or not. And if they believe it, it creates an obligation in their life to obey it. And what we struggle with is our imperfection in that, that sanctification process. You recall when uh, I put up the process of salvation. and you go through that. It starts with God. It ends with God. It starts with Him choosing us. It ends with Him uh, bringing us into His presence as His Son is. Glorification. And in the midst of that is a, a conversion process where there is uh, repentance and belief. And that associated with that conversion, there's also a regeneration. Which comes first? We don't know. It's a chicken and an egg. Right? A lot of things we don't know. Well... <coughs> I can tell you something about the chicken and the egg. Um, because it says, in the beginning, God created. Right? So he created the chicken. And the chicken had eggs. It had within it the capacity to um, reproduce life. Right? Just as we are created, we have the capacity to participate in that life that God has put in us. To, to pass that on.
1: So that that talk you just had about obedience kind of then leads into works, and it that's what we get all wound.
0: That's up where we get wrapped end. around the axle. And that's why I keep that's why I keep saying take a step back from this and understand this isn't about a prescription of how a man and his wife are supposed to act. Where some will actually use that prescriptively and they'll say, "Wife,
1: <laughs> submit."
0: <laughs> she should turn around and say, "Husband, love." <laughs> Right, but that that would be prescriptively because we get wrapped around because it's easier for us to have a checklist and a performance-based system rather than one that is based upon our righteousness being in Christ, right? And knowing that our salvation is evidenced by His resurrection.
2: Uh, so far. Or be it for me to uh, move away from this discussion.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But... Uh, we will we, we get, we get through verse 9. The,
2: the children thing in 6.1 is a direct command. It is. Right? And yep. does he kind of leave? Do you think he leaves the, the analogy of Christ in the church and give these four verses? And then he, then he comes back to it, slays that and... and and uh, in six, he's, he brings it back to to slaves of Christ now. But I mean, do you see this as a as a separate thing? In six, one, two, three, four.
0: No, I don't see it as a separate thing. Like, <clears throat> okay, we've been talking center. about the walking in the Spirit, being Spirit uh, Spirit energized rather than world ambition energized, right? So, what does it mean to walk, be imitators of Christ? And then, oh, by the way, let me throw in this one rule, this command about children. I don't think that it's an aside. I think that it's in the same theme. That what he's saying is you're correct. Well, I do too, but then that means it is prescriptive. And and there is some prescription here, yes. And that um, the prescription is don't walk as the world walks. And he gives very prescriptive steps. He says, oh, by the way, this is what the world looks like. Immorality, impurity. Um, let's, let's, let's drill down on this further. Let's talk about, um, uh, and, he, and he enumerates some of that, right? And so, and then he also enumerates some of the, what it looks like um, prescriptively if you're obedient, right? And one of the things that we understand, so I, I always present what we call the Ten Commandments. The Decalogue. I always present that as um, descriptive of the nature of a citizen of the kingdom of God, rather than prescriptive, as if you follow this prescription, you will be a citizen of the kingdom of God. That you can attain that through performance. Rather, it's descriptive of if you have that heart in you, which is in Christ Jesus, you will do all of those things that will describe you. Which includes... Honoring your mother and your father. Which, by the way, has a promise associated with it. That's what he's saying. So if you look at uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 16. So this is a recitation of the Ten Commandments. And we get to verse 16, and it says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land Which the Lord your God gives you. So, in other words, I brought you another roll, I can take you out. Uh, That's um, to a child being uh, vulnerable in a family. Now, okay, so we've had the prescription about the husband laying down his life for the wife, right? And the wife respecting the husband. Now, what about that kid who's even more vulnerable? Than the wife in a, a human understanding. So we're using human um, phenomenological language. And he says, now take this kid. He's totally vulnerable. I brought you into this world, I can take you out. And there are kids that actually experience that, unfortunately. Right? That's, that's the brokenness. But even in that brokenness, what God put inside us as part of his image as that we would be like his son and as a child i will obey my parents because in my imperfection in my understanding of the world i'm going to trust them and their righteousness even though i may not understand it so when my kid's Asking me why, 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 why? Mm-hmm. So I'm growing up, and finally you just get frustrated, and you say, "Because, because I, I told that. you so." I <laughs> know <laughs> it, it's it's like some kids who the parents are, you know, terrible, and yet you know even an abuse for the child, right? And the child still loves the parents because they're right, right, and I think God builds that in to His creation for communion. Right, so we are created in his image for the purpose of um, being in relationship to him we, and interestingly since we are created that way we really can't have any life outside of that we don't have life in ourselves we have life in him so um, I can choose because he's truly given me freedom to take myself outside of God I can choose as a child to not obey my parent. <laughs> but nonetheless, <clears throat> there is a command there. The command is for the, for the life of the child. And it actually translates into life. So that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. So I don't have spiritual life outside the Christ, but I still have a life. Correct. Yeah. So, so, the so And the same thing is true with, with children. They can have a life apart from their family, but they don't have probably the best life that's available to them possible. Right. And in fact, left totally on their own, they typically don't do well. Okay. Um, and so that's what that's about, right? So again, just as, as uh, what Paul is, is trying to help frame for us is an understanding of that spiritual life and being connected to God in communion, and having that play out the ethics of how we live in the world, we have husbands and wives, we have children and parents, we have slaves and masters, right? So he's going to take it down to all of the kinds of phenomenal language, things that they would understand from everyday life to help them understand this and what this means to be as Christ is where we um, empty ourselves, becoming a bondservant, Humbling yourself, even to the point of uh, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Right? That's what. That's what the point of this is. You were raising your hand. Well, I think you just blew through "once saved, always
2: saved" for a second there. You said something about we can leave. Well, but I don't want to bog us down because this is good practical
0: stuff, but. Right. So can I, can I, uh, uh, can I leave once saved? That's what your question is, right? In other words, I agree with God at one point in my life and I disagree with him at a later point in my life. And then I might agree with him again and then disagree with him again. And I hope that by the time that I uh, take my last breath, I'm agreeing with him <laughs> and not disagreeing because my life depends on it. him. Right? That kind of what you're getting at? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, I'm, I, I make the statement <clears throat> that I cannot unchoose things. When I choose something, it is an irrevocable choice. Now, I can subsequently choose a different thing, but it doesn't unchoose what I already chose. And the evidence of that is how the things in your life kind of chain together. In other words, you make a decision at some point in your life to tell a lie. You can't untell that lie. You can make a decision later to go back and own it, take responsibility for it, go to the person whom you lied to, and say, "You know what? I, I I just told you something that's untrue, and I really want you to know the truth." And you can you can make that choice, but you can never undo the choice that you made previously, right? So you can never unchoose. There's a good thing in that, Alan. There is a spot uh, in uh, John's Gospel, uh, ver- chapter 10, verse, starting in verse 28. Uh, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Right. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch it out of my Father's hand. The, right. uh, the picture in my mind there is like when you're waiting at a stoplight with your three-year-old. And the three-year-old sees somebody on the other side of the road, and they want to run right over there. Yeah, but you know their propensity to do that, and you've got a brick of iron on their arm,
1: and right. they can't go.
0: Right. And that's kind of the picture that there is to me, that when Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand, that includes me. Right. No matter how foolish I am, no matter how much I want to pull right out into heavy traffic. And and that's why I bring up the point about choosing and, and unchoosing, is that God chose us, and his choice is an irrevocable choice, and it is a sure grip. So what we would understand from a Calvinist theological perspective is that um, God will complete the good work within us that he started. What my transformation, my sanctification, is not about me having the ability or merit to become righteous, but rather it's about God's ability and God's merit to make me righteous. That he can do that in Christ, now He's going to transform me by the renewing of my mind, right? And what I'm going to point out is, I know this is true because I read in in, in Philippians, um, again. So He says in Philippians chapter one, verse six: For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I believe that it is possible for someone to choose Christ. Christ has chosen them, that they're truly in him, in life, and that they can behave disobediently. I know that because my children have said, I love you, Dad, and then go off and do some of the most horrific things that tells me that they don't love me. So if I look at it as their action. As telling me that they don't love me, um, I would think that they they've changed their mind, but they can't change their mind, right? Um, and that's one of the great things about family—you're stuck with them. <laughs> right? God's stuck with us, but He He's not stuck with us in a bad way. He's delighted that He's stuck with us.
1: This, you know, I believe that
0: nobody is going to be forced to go to heaven. I think that's true also. And so we don't know the state of the heart. Only God can discern um, the true intentions of the heart. I read that earlier out of Hebrews, right? God knows it, though. He knows what the intention of the heart is. He knows if somebody is making a statement for outside people to hear that's not really what's going on on the inside, and they're doing that for some other motivation other than relationship with God in Christ, right? It might be for the social gain of being accepted as a, a big man of God or a big woman of God in a church congregation. And people do that. And that's why when we sit wherever we're sitting, in this room, in the other room later, um, when we look about, we don't know really what the intents of people's hearts are. Is is the person sitting next to me truly um, embracing Christ in faith and that what we see is the ethic worked on the outside is the result of that or are they working something on the outside because they want to get the secondary gain of me bringing them into the club, right? Because some people would see the church as a club. It's not. But some people would see it that way. And and we know that that's true, because there are going to be those at the end that said, but God, I paid my dues, I was, I was a good standing member of the club, and he's going to say, I never knew you. We read about that. That's a scary thing. When I read about that, that, that brings fear into my heart, because I'm going to look at my own life, and I'm going to say, wow, God, I'm trusting you. That unfaith and disobedience that's in me, please get it out. Because that's not where I want to be. That's a good thing. So when that's the cry of our heart, is in my unrighteousness, I'm asking for his righteousness. That's the nature of our faith in him. Right? that's a good thing. Um, And people shouldn't go through their whole life quaking in their boots, wondering if they've done what's necessary for their salvation. Rather, we should be going through life with confidence that he's done what's necessary for our salvation. It's all about him and not about us. And that's why this Sunday and next Sunday are so important. This Sunday is about Jesus with full knowledge, having come from the Mount of Transfiguration where he was perfected as a human being such that he could step right into heaven and he could commune with those that were in, in the, the, uh, the, court, the court of the king. And he was transfigured into that glorious state, and yet he chose to leave the mountain and go back down into the valley. <laughs> if you read that account in Luke chapter 9, the transfiguration, it says from that point forward, <clears throat> he set his face on Jerusalem. He set his face for this time of coming into Jerusalem for his crucifixion. And on the way, he um, grieved over the destruction that had come in the world of sin and and healed as he went. But ultimately, he was going for the the full healing. He was going for the, the root of the problem. was not the symptom, but the source. He was going to take people's sin upon himself and the consequent death. And that the result would be that we could be righteous in Him, and we could have the life that He has. Right? Substitutionary atonement. And that's what this is all about. That's what happens when we embrace that on the inside. It actually impacts how we live. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So if I look at this um, as a microcosm of how I'm to behave in the world, I am to help bring people up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's what I'm supposed to do and that I'm supposed to not frustrate you. So as a teacher, if I'm causing you to get really frustrated and and rip out your hair, I'm doing my job, right? Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men so he's giving us this example in the workplace he's giving us this example in the family he's giving us this example in marriage knowing that whatever good things each one does this he will receive back from the Lord whether slave or free that the way God's economy works is that righteousness is blessing unrighteousness is a curse he wants us to be blessed good on you And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. In other words, there is no social status that gets you greater merit because it's not a merit-based system. It's a God-choosing-you system. It's all about him and what he has done and his character, his heart. If it wasn't for his character and his heart, we would have no hope but we do have hope. And that's where we're going to pick up next week, which will be our our final piece. And I'll go ahead and read it because he gets to this turning point. He says, now that I've kind of laid it all out, right, I've told you who God is, I've told you who Christ is, I've told you who you are in Christ, what he's done for you, how that has transformed your life, how you are now to... um, live as a result of that not just head knowledge but heart knowledge that you can be a person of integrity as Christ is a person of integrity finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might right? so now we're, now we're getting to, the, to the, final, the final show put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil so you have an enemy of your soul that wants to take you down And you're going to need um, more than you have in order to take a stand. You're going to need him. He needs to equip you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers, and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand fast. So what we know is, is that in this world, there will be trial. There will be troubles. There will be tribulations. Jesus said that. That means that you're going to have to stand against trial and troubles and tribulation. They're not of you. You have an enemy that's coming against you that's going to make it necessary for you to dig in, to take a stand, not give an inch, and that in the course of doing that, you are inequipped, but God has the equipment for you. Put on His full armor, that you'll be able to stand fast. And then He's going to enumerate that: stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So, truth is from God; righteousness is from God. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition, so you're going to protect your feet with your hope. Right? That's the gospel. It's your hope. Your hope is in God. That's what's going to allow you to to walk and stand. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's taking a stand.
1: So is this section prescriptive or descriptive?
0: That's a really good question.
1: <laughs>
2: and look at the time. And look at the time.
0: Um, I would say both. It's descriptive in the sense that it's what God does for us um it's prescriptive in the sense that we participate in it, like conversion. the previous section husbands and wives. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why at the very end there he says nevertheless each individual among you is also to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So that there is that that double-edged sword there. What we don't want to do is we don't want to Exclude one or the other. You want to take both in combination because I don't think it's possible to follow the prescription without understanding that that's the work that God's doing in you. So let's go ahead and, and uh, close here in prayer. We'll pick up with this. Yes? Is
1: there class next week? We have two services. Okay,
0: so uh, I haven't gotten clear direction on that yet. So if. Uh,
2: Pardon.
1: <laughs> if there isn't that we'll be done until we get back. Pardon. If there isn't, we'll be done yeah. If, we if there
0: isn't, um, I I won't be back until May or April twenty uh, something. So uh, so I'm hoping to finish this next week. So I'm going to say yes. There's class. So
1: then, what time But 9:00? please check.
0: Please check with the church.
1: Dave. Yeah, yeah, nine starting at nine instead of 9.15 because
0: that's
2: when,
1: the yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, um, or did they I'll, I'll, the get, I'll get clarification on that from Bob tonight. It hasn't been stated one way or the other, so I'll get clarification on that. Please check in with the church to find out, um, but let's plan on it uh, unless you hear do otherwise. Does that sound okay? okay. Yeah, they want us to go there. Well, we can do Sunday school at ten thirty. How about eight? Eight. <laughs> we, can, we can do Sunday school at eight. I, mean, I, I get up at Eight. eight. <laughs> we could <can> do eight.
2: Stop giving those.
0: Well, we're we're out of time. But let's take a let's take a quick vote. Who votes for eight o'clock? Well that's <laughs> one. Who votes for nine
1: o'clock? Couple. Who votes for ten thirty? Oh yeah. Okay.
0: They would like us to They want the party. They want the party they want the not just
1: the streets of the entourage. Yeah. Right, right, right. We all are oh, so yeah. the prairie if you're staying for both. They want us the at least ten. I mean for <laughs> So,
0: so how about we plan on on 10:30 mm-hmm. next week, unless you hear otherwise. Uh-huh.
1: Um, yeah, and and so
0: then park so over so at prairie, prairie High School. That sound like a plan. Okay. Sorry, I'm so indecisive on that. <laughs> I haven't received other direction. Let's go ahead and close with prayer. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our life. We thank you that this challenges us. Uh, that as we read through Ephesians and Philippians and Deuteronomy and uh, all of your word, Lord, that it speaks to us in ways that um, only you can speak to us. We know that your word does not go out without accomplishing that which you desire to accomplish. And so I have confidence, Lord, that you're not only working in my life, but you're working in all of our lives. And we're so thankful for that, that you care about us so much that you wouldn't leave us in the muck and the mire, but rather that you would put us upon a firm foundation which is Christ Jesus that you would put us upon a rock and put a new song in our mouth and Lord we're just so thankful for that and as we go through this week give us the courage to tell the story of um, what Jesus has done um, not as a uh, a fable but as a reality that people can understand that this is a true um, reality that occurred on their behalf that it isn't a uh, a myth, as many people believe, that's just, uh, and we know that that's, that it, it's the hope of our life is that you've come for us. And, uh, and Lord, we just desire to communicate that, and give us the, the courage and the words to do that in a way that's effective, that we can be um, carriers of your gospel, that we can have our feet shod with the, the peace of, of the gospel and bring that to others. Lord, um, we thank you for um, helping us this morning as we uh, go about uh, the events of our day. We ask for your provision, for your protection. Uh, we are in an evil world, and we need protection from the evil one. And um, Lord, help us to be participants on your side and obedient rather than disobedient. Lord, be with Bob as he uh, brings your message here on Palm Sunday. Lord, let us reflect on that and throughout the week. Lord, we ask for your uh, blessing on this place and this time and on your people. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of this in your name we pray.
1: Amen. Amen.